got a phone call in the middle of the night. Critical servers got encrypted. The production process stopped. We gave them instructions what to do immediately. Welcome, everybody, to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He is going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Ofer Shaked, the co-founder and chief technology officer at Skatefence, and he's going to be talking about industrial ransomware. Let's listen in. So Ofer, before we get into ransomware, um, can you know you're with Skatefence, um, the chief technology officer there? Can you tell us a bit about Skatefence and about your role? I started Skatefence about uh, six years ago together with my friend from the Israeli army. Uh, I've actually been in industrial cybersecurity since uh, about 2007. Um, started in the IDF intelligence. I uh, was there an officer for five years where I met uh, Yoni, which we started the company together. When we finished our army service, we understood that we have unique knowledge about the security of industrial control systems and SCADA systems. And we decided to use this knowledge and uh, try to, to do something to help the, the security of the systems by um, developing uh, different uh, cybersecurity management tools for industrial networks. My role at Skatefence, I'm the chief technology officer. I'm in charge of the innovation. So I am always on the lookout for new attack techniques, uh, what the attackers are doing, thinking from the, from the attacker mindset and uh, uh, leveraging this uh, knowledge that we have for building very efficient uh, defense mechanisms that are part of the Skatefence uh, suite of products. And our topic today is ransomware, you know, especially on industrial networks. Um, what are you seeing with ransomware? What are you seeing on industrial networks? Ransomware um, is a trend that uh, became popular in the last few years. Ransomware is a way for cyber criminals to monetize their operations. And uh, we see that a large percentage of the ransomware campaigns are targeted at industrial networks, uh, specifically manufacturing. Um, the, the trends that we see today, and we are exposed to ransomware on a number of levels. First of all, we hear about ransomware all the time in the media. Um, for example, the NotPetya uh, WannaCry campaign, um, the Locker Goga campaign that hit uh, Norsk Hydro, and many other uh, ransom attacks that we hear about in the media um, can, cause, uh, can cause a lot of problems in organizations because they are able to stop the production in a way that is very, very hard to go back to normal operations. Um, my estimate that if you have a global manufacturing company, for example, that is hit by, by a cyber attack, like a, a, a ransomware that is hitting, let's say, 50% of the facilities and expanding uh, through the, the global network, I estimate it might take you uh, six months or even more to go back to the same level of productivity and, uh, and stability you had before. And uh, the, the ransomware trend, as I see it, is uh, in the beginning, we saw um, ransomware campaigns that were more accidental, meaning uh, 
they were not uh, targeted. It was basically a type of computer worms that somehow got into a network and started uh, infecting uh, inside of the network uh, using uh, something like uh, SMB vulnerabilities uh, or other types of vulnerabilities. But because of the success of those campaigns, uh, attackers have become uh, much more targeted and we have been part of certain investigations and we have a white paper that explains more about this. We are seeing that uh, attackers are now actually using targeted attacks. So they target specific organizations, they, they target uh, third-party vendors like engineering firms and others that have remote access to industrial networks and they actually go into the network uh, and uh, they steal credentials and they do all sorts of stuff that we used to see only in uh, advanced uh, attacks. So now it also happens with ransomware and they are able to generate uh, a big profit uh, out of this. I heard the uh, statistics that um, some some attackers are even requesting uh, uh, up to $4 million in, uh, in ransom. And uh, I hear that many organizations are, uh, it's, it's a good deal for them to pay the ransom because um, they might encrypt important database servers and other things that don't have backups. And sometimes it's uh, from a financial point of view without looking at the external consequences, just looking at the financial picture, it might be a good idea for organizations to pay the ransom. And this is how the, the cycle continues when we are continue to, to actually fund those operations, um, we see that uh, we, we see more and more attacks. And um, it's, uh, it's something that is very hard to get rid of. And uh, I, I, I don't believe that something like this will uh, disappear. I feel like cyber criminals have found a way to monetize their operations. And we're just going, going to continue seeing more and more of that until we have the right countermeasures in place to actually reduce this risk and make it uh, something that will be less profitable, a less profitable industry, and then cyber attackers will be forced to move somewhere else. When Only when this uh, monetization model stops working, only then they will think about alternative models. Just a word of explanation for a couple of names that Ofer dropped here. Um, WannaCry is ransomware that uh, uh, WannaCry and NotPetya both were uh, malware that used a, an SMB vulnerability to propagate. Um, SMB is server message block. It's the Windows protocol that gives remote access to files and printers. WannaCry was true ransomware. You pay the ransom, you get your files uh, unencrypted. NotPetya was something much nastier. It encrypted your files, but there really was no way to get them back. It was sort of more sabotage than ransomware, but it was disguised as ransomware and it behaved in some ways as ransomware what I wanted to emphasize though what I you know I wanted to spend some time uh, Ofer talked about the difference between targeted and not targeted attacks you know the the uh, sort of the first generation of ransomware um, spread indiscriminately it's uh, you know it, you, they tried to get it on on as many machines as possible the ransom was like I don't know a couple of hundred dollars a machine basically because this is what grandma would pay to get her photos decrypted targeted ransomware came later um, these attackers are these you know organized criminals are using targeted attack techniques the same techniques that you know the 
the nation states used to use to, to break into things. Now organized crime is using these same techniques, break into an organization that they know has deep pockets. Um, it takes time to, to, to break into the organization, but once they're in, now they infect as much as they can of a network. And the ransom is not 300 bucks per machine. The ransom is half a million dollars or a million dollars or more. Um, and you know it, it's it's become very profitable. The only thing I'd add to that, um, you're right that the targeted ransomware is an evolution of the non-targeted ransomware, um, but that first generation uh, is still going strong, examples of which being WannaCry and not Petya, which didn't happen that long ago. Very good point. So, you know, it's, you know, the original versus the targeted is representative of the evolution, but the original approach to ransomware still works. And you're right. Uh it's still a, a going concern. The, uh, the the targeted is sort of the, the new stuff, but, um, you know, it's all out there. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, you know, before we get back to your interview, um, there was one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, Ofer mentioned a figure. Um, he anticipated it would take up to six months to get back to full production after such an attack. Um, Andrew, do you know where he gets this figure from? I don't. And that surprised me as well. And so that was actually my next question. So let's get back to him and and, uh, get some clarification on that. You mentioned that it can take up to six months to get back to full productivity. Can I ask what's going on there? Because, you know, the, the, the classic assumption with ransomware is that you, you know, if you're going to, if you're not going to pay the ransom, what you do is you figure out which machines have been encrypted, you erase them, you restore from backup and and you're back up what what takes 6 months this is something that many people uh, don't understand the real impact of ransomware the first impact of ransomware is of course you get uh, all of those servers workstations you can even have robots encrypted um, and um, basically anything with a windows operating system sometimes even linux operating systems is encrypted this is the first thing that you see and we have been part of incident response and investigations and we helped companies get out of a ransomware attack so i can explain in great detail what exactly it means um for for our audience to to really understand the risk behind it because the risk is much bigger than what you see in the in the media so whenever a company is attacked by ransomware, they will usually not talk about all of the things that have went wrong after the, after the attack. They just say, listen, we're doing recovery right now. We are restoring what we have from backups. And, uh, and we, are, we start uh, with the most important things and we move things to manual mode in, in the meanwhile. This is not exactly true for a number of reasons. First of all, many things cannot move to manual mode. Uh, we are not in the 50s where uh, you can run uh, you can run everything manually. Many things you cannot move to to manual mode. They can only work in a in an automated way. There is no way to uh, move a robot manually. For example, if a robot stops working, you need the you need to uh, fix the the software for the for the robot, and also many other processes in the in the network require automation. So moving to manual mode might solve you a small part of the problem. Another thing is the recovery process. There is a very big problem with recovery. The problem is when we, when, when we have a ransomware, this is where our backups really uh, come into play. 
And if we didn't do proper testing of the backups, we might find, unfortunately, that some machines cannot be restored from the backup, meaning they didn't, they don't have backups. There was a problem with the backups in the last few months and no one noticed. You, you, you realize that some of the network doesn't have a backup and you need to find a solution for that. Not always the solution is easy. Sometimes you don't have an image, you lost the license, you need to talk to the vendor. The vendor doesn't have to uh, reply very, very quickly. Maybe uh, they'll need to send a technician to help you solve this problem. If it's a robot or something else, maybe they need to send someone. This also takes time. You need to set, to set uh, those, uh, those meetings and have people uh, come and help you. So it's not just a matter of restoring for backups from, from backups because not everything has a backup. In addition to that, even after you restore from backup, not everything is working properly. You might have synchronization problems. You might have things with different versions. So you go into starting debugging those problems. You need your team to actually help you and bring things uh, b- back online. Some, some users might lose access. Some machines might, might stop working. This is what happens when you restore from the backup. Um, in, in addition to that, we heard about uh, cases where the backups were themselves infected with the ransomware and with, with, with malware. So basically what you're doing here, you're restoring to a backup that, uh, that has the malware inside, so you cannot clean your network. So, and if you are not aware of that, you might, you might, uh, start, uh, you might uh, turn off everything, restore from backups, and suddenly you have, uh, you have the malware spreading again in the network encrypting everything again. So it might take you a lot of time. And we heard about one network took them two years. So two years from the initial infection, they still had repeated infection of the same malware because of different backups and different machines. So let's say you have the malware on one machine, uh, on, on, on a virtual machine. As part of the investigation, you turn off everything. It's enough for you to forget just one machine that you didn't clean you turn it back on, it might propagate again through the network. So it's, I'm, I'm talking about something that can be a very, very big headache for companies. And I think it will not be uh, fair towards the people who are actually doing the recovery, thinking it's a matter of a couple of days. It's, uh, it can be a, a very long-term effort. We are, we are talking about a big, big loss of productivity and efficiency. And uh, some of the things might cost a lot of money. The, the companies that come and help you to fix your robots or fix uh, uh, other things that that got infected, uh, they will want they will want to get paid for it for flying technicians uh, and get you back in, in in productivity. So the the attackers that are that are doing this, uh, they are creating so much damage that is hidden from the public's eye. It's uh, it's something that can cripple a global organization. So another thing you said was that we're going to see more and more of this. Um, you know, until we can do something to make it less profitable. Can, do you have any more detail on that? You know, how bad is this going to get? We need to understand that the attackers that are doing the ransomware attacks, they are primarily motivated by uh, the, the financial incentive. So if the attack will not be as profitable as, to them as other types of cybercrime, they will move out of ransomware to a different area. Now, I'm not saying it's the entire picture. There are other things. For example, there are uh, cyber criminals that have a certain uh, uh, mission to, for example, uh, uh, sabotage the production process, steal the information and stuff like that. And once they completed their goal, 
then they install the ransomware. So sometimes it's something extra. So because of the economy of scale, even if we reduce the, the profits of ransomware using different ways, maybe we will still see them because they are part of a different campaign. They are, they are part of something. They're not doing only that. But as part of the investigations I've been, I've seen uh, examples where I know for sure after the investigation ends that the, the ransomware was the only goal of the attackers. So this is completely uh, a financial incentive. Um, the, 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 the problem is, and the reason why we see the ransomware campaigns is we have, uh, all sorts of, uh, cyber crime organizations. We have to understand what, is, what are those organizations? Uh, it's, uh, it, in many cases, it's not, uh, some hacker sitting at home doing this themselves. Those are, uh, those are organizations that resemble a company. So they might have some type of customer support. For example, if the customer is unable to uh, to decrypt the files. The the key doesn't work. They don't understand how to do something. They have people that can support, and you can talk to them over email. And they have also uh, people that are doing like sales that can do the negotiation with you. You can tell them, listen, it's too much for me. I can't pay so much. They tell you, okay, let's do a little bit. They build trust with you. They tell you, let's let's decrypt just one or two files. Show you that it works you will see the process and then you will gain the trust and you can pay us more and we will decrypt the rest of the files. So we need to understand those are very sophisticated people that are building an organization that is based on crime. It's not just someone doing this from home. It's it's something that is organized. They have their ways. They have people of different professions that are helping in this process to monetize as 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 uh, as well as as possible. They want to squeeze the lemon as much as possible to get the, to get the, the the most of it. So it's enough for us to just change the equation, meaning making less profit on each attack or making the attacks more expensive. If we change the equation, we will actually uh, uh, lose a lot of the financial incentive, and then we will see cyber criminals moving to other fields like moving to a financial fraud or, or something else they, they, they can do because they are looking for the low-hanging fruits. They are not doing this out of some kind of uh, ideology. They are, not, uh, uh, they are not hacktivists. They are not nation states. They are just people coming here to make money. It's becoming too hard. They'll just do something else. They don't have any sentiments. They don't do this uh, because of any other reason. So I followed everything that Over just said, although it occurs to me that wouldn't all of these problems be equally solved by just, you know, doing backups better? Yeah, I mean, in theory, yes. In practice, it's it's much harder to do backups than it is to say do backups. Um, I mean, I remember I was responsible for a, a small IT team a decade ago. This was on the IT side, but still, you know, we have to do backups. And, you know, I remember going to the, the backup systems just sort of accidentally after a month and looking at the logs and going, oh, shoot, there was a problem with the tape. You know, there's a flaw or something. My backups haven't been working for three weeks. Good thing nothing failed. You know, it's not enough to say to have backups. You actually got to monitor these things. And, you know, even if you have backups that worked, will they restore? You have to test these things. Test beds are expensive. I was talking to a, a you know a gentleman in a, a large power company 
just this morning about test beds. And, uh, you know, his problem is that it costs a lot to buy another copy of everything so that you can test if the restore process works. Because if you don't have a test bed, which is expensive, um, how do you test the restore? Well, your plant has to be down. So, okay, the next time the plant is down for maintenance or whatever, you do a test restore. The test restore fails. Now, nothing works. Oh, shoot. Quick, try and get it working before the plant is supposed to come back up. You know, getting good backups, testing good backups are, are hard. And he was talking about, you know, even if you have good backups, even if you've tested them, you might still run into problems. Uh, you know, he talked about synchronization problems. Let's say there's a, a an issue with, you know, the last three days backup, but I've got a four-day-old clean backup for a machine, and I've got today's backup for the other machines. I restore everything to the most recent backup I have. The problem was that four days ago, I was building washing machines. Today, I'm building jet engines. Fire everything up, and the robots are doing the wrong thing synchronization among the backups is difficult. And the last one I really wanted to touch on was the the virtual machine thing. You know, um, in the olden days, we didn't have virtual machines, but virtual machines have been around for so long that we are starting to see them be used really quite routinely in industrial operations. And the scenario he gave was, great, I restored all of my 73 machines. And, you know, I, I checked their backups and I, I made sure that none of the, uh, you know, the, the files that I was looking for that are indicative of, of the malware, of, of the infection, none of those files are on any of the 73 machines. I'm clean. I bring everything back up and it all gets reinfected. What happened? Well, what I didn't realize is that one of the machines I restored, I checked the operating system on that machine. It was not infected. But that machine runs two virtual machines, and I did not check the operating system on the two virtual machines, and sure enough, one of them was infected and reinfected everything when I fired up the virtual machine. So, as I said, it's it's much easier to say do backups than it is to actually do the backups. I take his point. A word from our sponsor. Waterfall Security Solutions is the OT security company. Waterfall's flagship product is the unidirectional security gateway. The gateway hardware is physically able to send information in only one direction, most often from a protected operations network out to an enterprise network. Unidirectional gateway software replicates servers in real time, most often replicating historian databases. Enterprise users can query the replica databases normally. No queries or information, or attacks can be sent through the gateway hardware back into the industrial network that might put that network at risk. Unidirectional gateways are safe ITOT integration. For more information on the gateways, please visit Waterfall's website. If I may, though, um, you said... uh Sometimes you see campaigns that have other goals. They're stealing things. They're sabotaging things. They have some other goal. And then, you know, they do ransomware as after as an afterthought to, you know, pull a little money out of the, the, the attack once they're in there. What are these other goals? What, what other criminals do you see out there? I think there are two goals of installing a ransomware at the end of a different cyber attack. Uh, f- first of all, uh, attackers, they come to networks for different reasons. It can be for uh, gathering intelligence on a competitor. It can be because of some nation state actor. 
uh, it can be because of uh, many reasons. Even before the rans- even before ransomware came into the world, we st- we still had uh, uh, cyber attackers. Now, when when I say that we see ransomware after an incident, so I go and I I do an, an investigation and I see that certain files have been stolen, certain databases have been accessed, and only then they install the ransomware. So as I mentioned before, they're trying to squeeze the lemon. They're trying to make the most money. If they can steal your customer list and sell it, if they can steal uh, uh, customer emails or or if they can steal uh, confidential information that they can do something with, uh, uh, like fraud and stuff like that, they will do it. Now, when they install the ransomware in this type of campaign, it can be in order to monetize. But I, I feel like there could be another reason uh, that isn't uh, uh, <clears throat> isn't uh, discussed uh, as as commonly, and I feel like sometimes the installation of a ransomware at the end of the attack is in order to cover your um, cover your attack, uh, in order to make this incident, which is something much more serious, look as if it's only a couple of people came here to to make money, and and uh, not as something serious. So you will not know that they stole everything because. It's it's very hard to clear the logs. It's it's very hard uh, for attackers to today when you have so much logging and monitoring system and stuff like that. It's hard for them to hide what they have done. Sometimes I feel like if they want to hide their tracks and they don't want you to know what they did there, they don't want you to find the attack tools. They might do some, you know, just blowing up everything. The company is in a huge crisis. Yeah, they might make money out of this. Maybe not. Maybe they don't even care. They're just doing a lot of damage to cover what they did. No one knows what was stolen. Uh, everyone are panicking. You know, employees don't come to work. Every it's sometimes those ransomware attacks they even appear on the media, so it's a big headache for the company. Uh, but I still feel like the main the main problem is the 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 main incentive is the is the financial incentive. You know, I really like the idea of a cybercrime customer service line. Uh, That really appeals to me. On some level, I do respect just how well organized these attackers are. Absolutely. And, you know, my understanding of the space is that these criminal organizations actually have reputations that they try to maintain. If the customer trusts them to restore the files when they get paid, uh, you know that trust is worth money to them, and so they invest in developing that trust and 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 developing the organization. At a deeper level, though, uh, it's not just one organization who is uh, you know displaying some sophistication here. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on criminal organizations, but I do remember a study uh, a few years ago now where uh, you know university profs who were an expert on criminal organizations investigated a malware organization that uh, a malware system that was uh, stealing uh, bank account numbers and they said look there's six or eight players in this space there is a uh, a criminal organization who writes code which is sort of a uh, it's a framework with uh, you know exploits and vulnerabilities and it basically uh, produces botnets 
and they rent this code for something like $10,000 a year. You can rent the, the, that, that code, you get software updates, you get tech support, and they rent it out to many other organizations that use the code to create botnets. So another organization buys access to the code, creates a botnet of 100,000 machines through various bits of compromise, and now they sell the botnet to a third organization who specializes in producing uh, banking website lookalikes. And they plug that code into the framework. And, uh, you know, now the, the, the company who's, who's, you know, made the banking uh, lookalikes uh, rents that capability to uh, someone else who harvests the, uh, the, the bank account numbers and the passwords using this framework. And their specialty is laundering the money so that they can take the stolen money and make it look clean somewhere so they can, you know, they can profit from it. It's a whole, it's not just one organization that's displaying some sophistication here. Um, there's a whole ecosystem of criminal organizations that are cooperating, you know, as if they were businesses, you know, they're, they're sent, they're, they're, they got tech support, they have, they have, um, uh, you know, support contracts and software updates. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a scary environment. This is, you know, this is the, this is the threat environment we live in. So knowing all this, um, does this affect how we approach the threat actors? If we know that they run their operations like businesses, and there are these sophisticated environments, um, how does that affect the way that we defend our systems, if anything, as compared with how we'd approach, say, a standard fair hacker? Uh, that's a good question. And I, I think there's two lessons to learn here. Um, one is, uh, you know, thinking of our our adversaries as, you know, lone hackers, you know, teenagers, uh, you know, sitting in, in, in the dark in a, in a basement somewhere. Uh, that's not who we're up against here. We're up against sophisticated organizations you know these organizations in the past would have been called advanced persistent threats you know these kinds of attacks would have been credited to uh, you know intelligence agencies nation state intelligence agencies i'm sorry all of the techniques those nation states were using five years ago the criminals are using today and it's routine and they're targeting everybody so the threat environment is evolving i think is one of the lessons and the other one here is that you know these people uh, unlike nation-state actors, these people, these criminals, uh, are work on a profit motive, and so the way to, uh, you know, one of the ways to to deal with these criminals is to make this whole suite of activity less profitable. And you know, I think this was one of the the points that Ofer made is if we can improve our defenses to the point where the criminals have to work much harder. Some, you know, some targets they'll get into, some targets they won't. The targets they do not get into, that investment is lost, and they have to recoup that investment from the other targets. You know, the other targets may only have so much money. If you can increase the costs and thereby increase the risk, the financial risk of this activity to the point where it really is, is no longer profitable, that is one of the ways to, you know, shut the whole thing down. You don't have to go and shut down the organization. They will shut down themselves because they're not making any money anymore. So I see a new white paper on your website talking about a specific industrial ransomware incident. Can you walk us through that incident? So we have, at, at Skate Offense, we have uh, an incident response team. Um, on, on, uh, on certain occasions, when there is a, a cyber attack that requires the involvement of experts, uh, that including uh, um, forensics team, uh, reverse engineers, 
and uh, and people who can uh, analyze uh, images of uh, of computers and understand malware uh, we are we are called on site uh, we also provide a remote service that can help with this but we can also arrive on site and uh, we have seen many interesting things um, uh, over the years and we decided um, to to publish uh, certain information of course everything was anonymized and there is no way to to correlate it to anyone but we decided for the public's benefit um, to give a little bit of information about how those attacks work and um, what you should expect in such an attack and the way our research team was able to detect the the, the attackers and understand exactly what, what what they did in the network so in this white paper it's a very technical white paper uh, it's also explaining the story behind the attack, but it's also explaining uh, what happened. And it's following the events starting from the ransom note until we actually found what was the attack vector and uh, how we investigated uh, along the way using different clues from the network to find the, the, the source. So that's a high level view. Can you give us a little more detail? Yeah, sure. So what happened is um, we got a phone call uh, in the middle of the night. Um, we had someone who uh, back then was not our customer yet, uh, just uh, just uh, some um, uh, pharmaceutical company that we were in touch with, but they did not have our solution. And uh, they requested uh, our help in, in the investigation of a ransomware attack. So we started to understand what is the situation, and we understood that they have uh, um, critical servers got encrypted. The production process uh, stopped, and they wanted our help with this. And um, we, uh, because of our experience in those kind of incidents, we have uh, we have uh, certain uh, procedures that we follow uh, before our arrival on site, and we are when we are already on on site in order to um, to secure all of the evidence and get, uh, get the, the most out of the investigation and shorten the, the investigation time. So initially, we gave them instructions what to do immediately. This includes uh, basically uh, stopping the propagation of the ransomware. Uh, at this point, it didn't affect all of the network. It only encrypted like, around 250 servers. So the, this company had a few thousands uh, machines, and uh, it, uh, it only spread in, uh, in a certain part of, of, of the network. We gave them instructions on what to do in order to stop the propagation immediately. Uh, and we actually uh, sent people uh, on site. And uh, I was also on site to assist uh, in this investigation. Um, we started the process by interviewing everyone involved. Uh, we had many people there. We had the, the IT team. We had all sorts of vendor, security vendors they have that came, that came to help. Uh, many, many people in, uh, in a room. Um, so we got an update about the situation and from that point we started managing the investigation. So we, uh, controlled all of the teams and we had the, the, the dashboards of what's going on and we managed the investigation with, uh, resources given us to by the customer and also resources that we brought with us like reverse engineering team. We started by, uh, collecting evidence. Uh, this includes log files. Uh, uh, files that we found on different machines. Uh, we took images, uh, hard drive images, and we took memory images, also RAM images. 
from from all of the machines in, in the network. And uh, we also deployed our solution, the Scalafence platform, because when a cyber attack is still ongoing, we want to see what the attackers are doing before uh, they actually do something. So if they're scanning something, if they try to propagate, they're using different exploits or using stolen credentials, we want to see. So we started monitoring all of the computers that are infected. We wanted to see what they're doing exactly. And this proved very valuable at the later stage of the investigation. So we started collecting all of the evidence. There was a big pressure of time uh, because of uh, a couple of reasons. When you are called to do a, a cyber investigation, there is always a risk of contaminating the evidence. And this is because uh, things like file time timestamps, they, 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 there is no history of a, of a, of a timestamp. So if the timestamp is changed, I am not able to see if the file has been changed during the attack or because someone touched this file and changed it. Uh, like someone who is inexperienced from the IT team or some user, um, and then it, it can ruin the investigation. Another problem, many log files in the computer and in different servers are, are, are cyclic, meaning they might be deleted after 24 hours, or if they pass a certain log file size, they might be deleted by new information. So if you are not quick in collecting evidence, you might access the log file later only to find that the, the, the time frame of the attack is no longer in the log file. So there is a big, big time pressure. We took around 10 people and we sent them to different places in the factory to get us the log files and get us all the evidence we need. We gave them instructions how not to cause damage and how not to contaminate the evidence. And we did many things ourselves. Once we had all this evidence, we started with, uh, even with partial evidence, we started an investigation in order to understand where the attack came from. So we got um, from from the customer, we got uh, we got a few uh, objectives, and one of them is to understand where the attackers came from, so the company is able to block them, and uh, uh, of course finding all of the infected machines and understand how did they propagate in the network, and uh, we started investigating for those kind of things. We found, uh, as evidence, we found encrypted files. We found we found binary files, and we found the uh, executables and uh, lots of other stuff, including the actually the ransom the ransomware applications. We found attack tools for stealing credentials. Uh, we also found that they use uh, the the RDP vulnerability uh, BlueKeep uh, from uh, a little bit less than a year ago. The computers there were not patched. And uh, we sent all of this information to our reverse engineering team. Uh, they were able to open the malware and open all of those uh, binary files and encrypted files. And uh, they told us what's inside and how the malware operates. Um, with, those, with this information, we were able to, uh, to, get, to have a good understanding of the propagation methods. And we were able to follow the, the lead uh, until we found uh, a certain uh, computer in the network that was uh, that had a port open to the internet, and it wasn't open to just any IP. It was open to a specific IP. This IP address is uh, uh, it uh, belongs to a to a third-party vendor that is uh, working with this company, uh, doing remote maintenance. So they were they they just open one IP address using one port, the RDP port. They open it to the internet to a specific IP, and this was the cause of the attack. Something that is in the at least in the industrial world, you know, opening a machine 
to one IP, one port, it seems pretty safe. So this was the source of the attack. Um, we, we called this vendor. Uh, they, we got access to this machine. Uh, that that this machine was used in the cyber attack to gain access to the to the industrial network. We investigated this machine and then we understood the problem. This machine was actually exposed to the internet, and it also didn't have security updates. The endpoint security agent was off, so this was completely unprotected. And actually, when the uh, when our customer opened this one device to one IP one port, they actually opened it to the entire internet because this other device was not well protected. Once we found that, we, turned, we, we terminated this connection um, and we were able to, to find all of the, we, we found a technique to, to find all of the infected computers and we were able to get out of this incident uh, only with minor damage. Um, and we know it was a targeted attack. We know that the attackers were actually in the network looking for something. It wasn't something automated. We even talked to the attackers um, in order to 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 understand from them the the the, the situation, and uh, we were able to finish this incident uh, without paying any ransom, and uh, we got uh, we got all of our files back. Unfortunately, it was not possible to decrypt the files because they used uh, a very strong encryption algorithms. Um, but uh, we 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 were able to bring everything back from 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 backup, and uh, and actually it was it was it wasn't a big damage at the end, uh, because the customer was able to respond so quickly. And I encourage everyone who is interested about this and about all of the details. There's much more than that in on our white paper. Please uh, feel free. You can also send us questions. We we are we, we love to to discuss those kind of things. Um, so uh, we we are publishing different white papers from from time to time, and you are you can also uh, subscribe and see if there's anything new. So a clarifying question: You found a machine that was open to one IP address on the internet, uh, and then you found another machine that was open more generally. Um, I, I I got confused there. Did the attackers break into the vendor's site? because they had a weak machine and then jump from the vendor into the victim or was something else going on? Exactly, exactly what you mentioned. So because uh, uh, industrial organizations, they're trying to protect themselves. So the attackers are looking for the easy way in. Some of the contractors that are working with the industrial sites are not as secure as the actual industrial site. So it's easier to attack them and from there to jump because many of those vendors they have all sorts of remote access for maintenance and uh, and uh, uh, like uh, preventive maintenance and support and stuff like that so they have remote connections to many sites so for an attacker it's a gold mine you attack let's say an engineering firm you can have access to 100 uh, industrial networks and you can generate a significant revenue from 100 networks and you only attack just one engineering firm so it's something very big for attackers. And this is exactly what happened here. We had a vendor with access. The vendor did not protect themselves. Uh, they didn't have security patches, no endpoint software that is uh, working properly. They left this device completely exposed to the internet and the attackers used the RDP vulnerability, got into this vendor host that was on the internet and from there got access to the industrial network. And the customer had no idea that the vendor is so insecure. 
So what struck me the most maybe is towards the beginning of Ofer's answer, he said that only 250 servers were infected to this point in his story. And I was thinking only 250 servers. It's, it's crazy. But he mentioned that they have over a thousand servers, this organization he's talking about. Is it normal, Andrew, for an organization to operate over a thousand servers? I did have kind of this conversation with Ofer offline. Um, the uh, it's a terminology thing um you know in the in the in the internet uh you know basically all connected machines are either clients or servers or both uh, a client is something that initiates requests that tells other machines to do things a server is something that sits there waits for a connection and then does what it's told and so uh you know, Ofer was using the term server very generically in an industrial site every plc is a server you know, in, in internet terms, it's a TCP server. It listens, it waits for connections and it does as it's told. Um, and so I did ask him about, uh, you know, this again, offline. And, uh, I believe his answer was that, uh, the, the ransomware basically infected all of the windows servers at the sites, which were 200, 250 of them. And the other thousand odd that were not affected were these other kinds of servers. They were PLCs, they were robots, they were devices in, in, you know, OT terminology, uh, but they're technically servers in, in internet protocol terminology. I think more importantly, um, the 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 trend that we're seeing has to do with with remote access from vendors. Um, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, um, FERC, the the North America, the, the the United States Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, issued a request for comments on critical infrastructure security. Comments on a half dozen topics that they were worried about and they wanted to get input on. One of the comments was cloud connections. And, uh, you know, we see a lot of connections from industrial sites into vendors on the Internet, cloud vendors. And, uh, you know, my response to the request for comment was this is a problem that's only going to get worse. The average, I don't know, power plant that we work with has a half dozen connections into the cloud. The average, uh, you know, discrete manufacturing plant, washing machines, jet engines um, has maybe as many as a hundred connections into the cloud. And to Ofer's point, not all of those cloud services are protected to the same degree. Break into one of those cloud services and you have access to possibly hundreds or even more um, industrial sites that in a sense are wide open to you because they trust the vendor, they trust the cloud. My prediction, my own you know, thinking about the future of this is that it's only going to get worse. Even if we have reasonably well-defended cloud instances, uh, you know, these, these uh, organized, organized criminals are businesses. If they look at a reasonably well-defended cloud instance and they say, well, it's going to cost a fair bit of money to break into there, but what's the return? The return is access to a thousand very large, very rich industrial sites. Even if the cloud instances are reasonably well protected, they may still be worth making a big investment into breaking into because the potential return is just enormous. And so, again, this this whole cloud connection thing, uh, I'm I'm very worried about personally. Now, this may be a moot point, but you mentioned the cloud a lot. I didn't hear Ofer mention the cloud Um is this really a cloud thing that we're talking about, uh, this internet connection to the third-party vendor? And that's a good point. Um, 
cloud can mean many things. It can mean a farm of virtual servers, you know, on in, in the Amazon space, or uh, you know, it it can mean many things. Um, when I use the word, I'm thinking about sort of the trend for over a decade, two decades. Um, if you buy big equipment in the industrial space, um, it has become very difficult to get a warranty, or, you know, or a service agreement for that big equipment. Think, you know steam turbines, gas turbines, um, big pieces of equipment. It's become very difficult to get a warranty without continuous access to the equipment for the vendor. And in the past, this was called vendor monitoring and diagnostics. The vendor's the expert on the equipment. Let them monitor it and tell us when there's a problem so that we can fix it before the problem builds up into a, a serious failure. You know, it used to be called vendor monitoring and diagnostics. The modern marketing term for all that is cloud. The modern marketing term for that old function is industrial internet. So the industrial internet is bigger than that. Cloud is bigger than that. But this is something that's in the cloud space. So when I talk about cloud connections, um, a large subset of cloud connections from industrial sites today are exactly this kind of connection to the vendor. But the modern term for it is cloud. Okay, let's get back to Ofer. From your story, it, it's clear that, that SCADA Fence has a, uh, a sophisticated incident response capability, a service that you offer to, to customers and prospective customers. Um, but you talked about product. What else, what else do you do at SCADA Fence? What else have you got to help address problems like these? So at, at SCADA Fence, we, we currently offer uh, three products. Our first product uh, that is used exactly for those kind of situations is the SCADA Fence platform. Uh, the SCADAFENS platform is a cybersecurity management platform for uh, industrial facilities. So it's basically a solution that you install inside of your industrial network, and it gives you uh, many of the functionalities you need for cybersecurity management. This includes asset management, vulnerability management, um, threat detection, and uh, uh, compliance reporting. Um, this is what uh, you get for in, in the SCADAFENS platform. So it is able to detect the vulnerabilities that can lead to such an attack. Like if you are not patching uh, machines that are exposed to the internet, uh, this is something that you can see on our platform. Uh, if you have other types of uh, problems like default passwords and other, and other types of vulnerabilities that uh, uh, ransomware actors can, uh, can use against you. And uh, when, when we are in the middle of an incident, when we have the first infection in the network, when we see someone scanning, for example, uh, uh, we see access to different CNC servers and uh, uh, deviations from the normal behavior, deviations from the baseline, uh, our threat detection engines are, are uh, um, taking control and alerting you about this. Uh, on, on some deployments, we also have integration with firewalls, for example, and with uh, network access control. So it allows you to do uh, more of uh, a blocking uh, approach. You can, for example, cut an internet connection of a host that might have a ransomware on it. So they are unable to transmit information or get additional modules from the internet, cutting the connection that the attackers have with this host. Uh, so this is the SCADAFENS platform. Uh, about, uh, I think, uh, maybe uh, eight or nine months ago, uh, we came up with a new product. This is called SCADAFENS uh, Governance uh, Portal. It's a different product. It's it can it can uh, come uh, bundled uh, with the SCADAFENSE platform, but you can also buy it separately. It's uh, a product for configuring and monitoring 
an organizational cybersecurity policy across many industrial sites. So basically, it has a policy configuration tool. You can build your own cybersecurity policy, or you can base your policy on common standards that are coming uh, as part of the platform, such as 62443, NIST, uh, the American standard, uh, NERC-SIP, the NIST directive, and, and, and others. And uh, uh, you're, you're able to build your, your policy from that. After you finished building your policy, you can monitor the compliance to this policy uh, across uh, uh, many uh, industrial sites that you have. You can see trends over time. You can see the compliance score. You can generate reports. Uh, so it's more like a compliance product. And this can help with ransomware because if you are sitting at a headquarter and you want to make sure your sites are protected, you can have you can have those things in the compliance. And with time, you will see that there is an improvement. You can see if there's a problem with a certain site that is completely not according to the policy and completely unprotected. Maybe they need a little bit of help. Maybe it's an older facility. So uh, this is something that's helping you. And uh, we recently uh, launched a new product uh, that's called uh, uh, Scalafence IoT Security. It's uh, it's an IoT security platform that is also doing what, what I mentioned before, just for IoT devices. So this is including all of the stuff you have in building management systems, including enterprise IoT and all sorts of uh, IoT devices. You can do the asset management, vulnerability management, threat detection, and compliance. Everything I mentioned before also for IoT. Um, this is still in beta stage. It's a, it's a new product. We are now we are now launching it. It's not generally available yet. It's in limited availability. But this is the next thing you 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 need to expect from from Skatefence. So it's clear that this is you know that there's a lot of pieces involved here. That you know Skatefence has has uh, technology to help. Um, can I ask you about advice? Is there advice that you give people about you know how to deal with this threat? I talk with uh, organizations uh, uh, every day. I'm talking to uh, IT and uh, and OT leaders in different industrial organizations. And um, when we, I, I know what kind of questions we get, and, and I know the the struggles that people have these days. Um, the problem is very very big. Um, it's something that's not easy to change. We are we are talking about production systems. Uh, it's not something we can just stop and start patching everything. So we need to develop a new type of approach for that. And the cyber the the cybersecurity management system that we provide for industrial network, the Skatefence platform, is a way for you to prioritize and understand what you should do now. And if there are any uh, th- threats that you need to to take into account, if you have vulnerabilities. And, uh, uh, and all of the management capabilities that, that you need. But on top of that, I feel like uh, there are uh, m- uh, uh, trivial things that you are able to do in your network at a, at a relatively uh, uh, low cost in order to reduce this risk. And I feel like uh, it, it all comes down to understanding and, uh, and the control over your network. So... Um, if we have a, a firewall that is completely uh, uh, broken and there are uh, numerous rules and no one knows what's going on there and you have a, a configuration of switches and routers and you have uh, network equipment spread all over with different VLANs and everything is connected in a way that you are you are not sure what's going on, this is a, a great way to, to get attacked and get a ransomware in, in your network. I feel like uh, in industrial network, um, the, the networks are there. They're, they've been there for the last uh, 10, 20 years, even more. Only, only in the last couple of years, 
we really saw security as a growing concern. So instead of uh, starting to do things immediately and starting with different preventive actions, when you're not sure what's the situation, you might do things that will be less effective. I, I heard about companies, for example, doing patching and, and, and things like that. And the patch might protect you against the, the, the vulnerability, but maybe this device doesn't even have authentication. And then there's no reason to patch it because even if you patch, someone can just connect and do all of the administrative actions you want to prevent even without the, this uh, vulnerability. So in order to prioritize your efforts, and we know that companies don't have a lot of uh, manpower and don't have uh, all of the resources in, in the world, I feel like a very good understanding of what you have, if you had to invest in one thing, I would put my efforts on understanding the, the problem. I, I think there's a famous quote by, by Albert Einstein about this as well. Um, if we have a good understanding of the problem, we can use the little the, the little resources we do have, we can use them very, very effectively. So wh what I say is uh, get to the bottom of things. Don't just uh, go and buy different products and invest in all sorts of processes that we are not sure what is the ROI on them. First, try to understand the situation. Is the network flat or not? Is it connected to the internet? Is it, if it's connected, uh, sh should it be connected? Is the, is, the, is the network mixed with uh, uh, the IT network? Um, what happens if you have a ransomware? Can it propagate? Do you have, uh, do, do you have something to stop it? Do you have uh, endpoint protection? What should you patch? Once you have a good understanding of the situation, it's, it's much easier to, to prioritize. And tools like the Scalafence platform are basically tools that can, it's like turning out on the light in a, in a dark room. You immediately see everything. And uh, but this is this is one of the this is one of the best ways. But of course, you can also do the same things manually. You can go ahead and collect configurations. You can send uh, uh, people to to check this. So uh, I I really recommend uh, going this path. I I believe in this. I I came from offensive background, so I think more like the hacker. Uh, and and this is my my personal advice. I just wanted to, to sort of reinforce something that Ofer said. Um, you know, he talked about how it's pointless patching a device if there's no password on the device, if the device software simply doesn't even support a password. And, you know, I, I completely agree with that, but I wanted to, to, to highlight that because that's a point that, that confuses. It. I see it confusing both enterprise practitioners and engineering practitioners and for different reasons. The, the enterprise practitioner's instinct is to patch everything. What do you mean it's not patched? And they don't realize that a lot of the SCADA equipment doesn't even have passwords. It doesn't support passwords. It's, you know, you send it a command, it does it. It's that simple. And so patching it has, you know, very limited value and very high cost. You know, we've talked about the cost of testing and certification for for applying patches. The the engineering practitioners may have a more a more limited um, understanding of the security space and you know the the calculus i've i've seen uh you know some of these these folks well-meaning folks smart folks who just don't have the experience the calculus i've heard them go through is look risk is a function of threat and opportunity and vulnerability and consequence it's you know it's in a sense it's the product of these factors and so if we can reduce any one of these factors to zero the risk vanishes so if we can reduce our vulnerabilities to zero then we must be invulnerable. Quick, patch everything. And they don't realize that there's a lot more 
ways to attack a system than to exploit software vulnerabilities. The easy way to, to, to attack most systems is to exploit permissions and just log in and do things. And I think this was the, the point, the, the example that Ofer gave. Um, you know, if you can exploit the permissions, you don't need to exploit vulnerabilities. Patching is pointless. So it's, it's a, I wanted to reinforce that because it's something that I see confusing both you know, enterprise practitioners who are not familiar with operations and engineering practitioners who are less familiar with, with security, you know, risk assessments. So this has been great offer. Is there a thought you would like to leave with our listeners? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for, for all of the questions. Um, and uh, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed being part of this uh, podcast. Um, for our uh, audience, um, if this is something that you care about, first of all, I recommend reading the full white paper. It's available on our website. Please go ahead to skedefense.com and you can get it there. Uh, in addition to that, we, are, we have some uh, special promotions uh, that we started uh, when the COVID-19 situation uh, started. Uh, so we have now a, a free uh, 30 days trial of the Skedefense platform. Uh, so it's not just a trial. It's something to give you immediate results. We can, within around uh, um, one or two days, uh, install the product and give you a full report of your risks uh, regarding ransomware and also other types of vulnerabilities and risk. And then you are able to play with the platform for the rest of the 30 days. In any case, this is something that can be valuable. The platform can be run in complete passive mode. It has active capabilities, but it can run completely passively. So it's basically zero risk and you can get the value out of it. If you're just starting your journey, I don't recommend going ahead with testing 50 different solutions. First of all, try one of them. We have this promotion right now and you're able to get all of, the, your, all of your vulnerabilities and visibility in, in one place. And then you can uh, decide what to do next. Once you have this information, you will be much more powerful in decision-making. So we have this promotion for you. And uh, this is what I wanted to end with. Andrew, how about your last word? Well, this has been a really, um, you know, to me, an, an eye-opening interview. Um, you know, I I predicted a couple of years ago that, you know, when, when ransomware kind of was getting going, I predicted it's going to get worse. I predicted that, you know, the targeted ransomware is going to be the, the next nasty that we all have to worry about. But I've kind of, you know, not been keeping my, my finger on the on the pulse of, of targeted ransomware. And, you know, here's a, a, a very eye-opening and, and concrete update. So, I, I, you know, things definitely have gotten worse and it looks like they're going to keep getting worse. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's been very useful to to get uh, sort of the next level of detail on, on uh, what's happening in the threat environment. Well, that should just about do it. Thanks to Ofer Shaked for speaking with you, Andrew. And thank you, Andrew, as always, for speaking with me. Always a pleasure, Nate. And I'll catch you next time. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast from Waterfall. Thanks to everybody listening.